This season of Truck Safe Live is presented by LogRock. LogRock builds technology tools to help trucking companies stay compliant with federal and state regulations. LogRock is easier. We connect to multiple systems like your FMCSA account and ELD, so you only have to use one system. LogRock is faster. We automate tedious tasks so you can use your time more effectively. LogRock is smarter. We notify you of issues like expiring or missing documents before they happen so you can be proactive rather than reactive. Setup is easy and most of our customers are online shortly after signing up. Request a demo now at LogRock.com. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 23 of Truck Safe Live, the show where we and our guests tackle the hot button issues impacting highway transportation. I'm Brandon, Truck Safe and Childress Law, both of which are dedicated to helping motor carriers develop and maintain cutting edge safety program. Great show in store today, um, talking about telematics and some considerations that all fleets should be um, thinking about when they are sourcing a solution that will work for them. Looking forward to talking with a good friend and uh, um, industry expert on these type of issues, Rob Carpenter. So we will do that here in just a few minutes. Before we do that, a couple of things going on at TruckSafe and uh, also in the industry that we should talk about here. Um, in terms of TruckSafe news, uh, wanted to announce um our next truck safe fleet compliance boot camp which is going to take place on october 12th and 13th this time in orlando florida at the rosen plaza hotel uh, we held one of these earlier in indy you probably remember us talking about it heard nothing about great things uh from it so we're excited to, to do it even bigger and better in orlando later this year i'm uh, going to show a, a real quick video here um to uh to kind of preview that here we go Hey everyone, Brandon here with TruckSafe. I wanted to take a second to tell you about our Fleet Compliance Boot Camp, an immersive two-day conference that we hold in person twice a year. This boot camp is designed to equip a small group of trucking professionals, whether it's an owner, safety team member, dispatcher, risk advisor, or otherwise, with the knowledge and tools that they need to develop a cutting-edge safety program at their fleet. We hold two boot camps each year, one in the spring and one in the fall, and we cap attendance at around 50 so that we can offer more personalized instruction and assistance and to facilitate more collaboration among our attendees. And this isn't your typical conference where you take some notes and then try to implement what you learned on your own back home. Bootcamp is comprised of discrete and intensive sessions targeted at key areas of DOT compliance where attendees not only receive industry-leading educational content from industry experts, but more importantly, get hands-on and participate in specially developed exercises like driver log audits, accident simulations, driver qualification reviews, and more, all to help equip them to apply these lessons at their own fleets. All boot camp attendees receive top-of-the-line compliance-related content like detailed topic outlines, workbooks, a full library of DOT compliance forms, and more to kickstart their compliance back home. The Fleet Compliance Boot Camp is ideal for folks just getting into trucking and also those who play a role in an existing carrier's DOT safety and compliance program. 
Our goal is to help demystify DOT safety regulations and to help folks implement robust safety programs to keep them compliant and out of the crosshairs. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming events. Check out the details and register online at trucksafebootcamp.com. Thanks for watching. All right, so lots in store for that. Looking forward to it. Uh, early bird registration is open today until the end of June. Uh, spots will fill up quick, so be sure be sure to do that if you're interested in joining us. Uh, if you register now, you'll save a hundred bucks over at trucksafebootcamp.com. All right, uh, enough about us. Let's talk about a couple of things going on in the industry that are worth mentioning. First up, oral fluid testing. Uh, we had a show about this, our last show, in fact. Uh, earlier this month, we had the lead author, the DOT's lead author on this rulemaking that actually takes effect today, June 1st, 2023. Uh, the oral fluid rulemaking takes effect. This is a rule that authorizes motor carriers and other modal um, entities. So, um, you know, airline pilots, railroad workers, those types of folks, anybody that's subject to part 40 of the federal motor carrier, uh, of the USDOT regulations can now use oral fluid in addition to urinalysis, um, uh, as a testing method for purposes of DOT regulated drug screens. The important point here though, is that even though that rule takes effect today, um, we are still waiting on the Department of Health and Human Services to certify a couple of labs to be able to process the specimens that are collected for those tests. Until that happens, uh, carriers cannot use, use those test types. So that's an important point. We have to wait. Even though this rule is in effect today, we have to wait until the, at least two laboratories get certified to process those results. So hold off on it. Uh, don't transition over to oral fluid testing unless and until we hear back from the USDOT will inevitably announce once they once HHS has uh, officially certified a couple of labs. So just wanted to uh, make you aware of that. Uh, last thing I'll mention is road check. Road check was, uh, what was it, last week, a couple weeks ago. Uh, we did a, another show on that recently where we talked about uh, the things to watch out for with road check. My concern back then was whether we were going to have such a high out-of-service rate like we saw last year where uh, nearly a quarter of all commercial vehicles that were stopped during that three-day blitz of roadside inspections were pulled out of service for serious maintenance-related violations. And so we were we were asking ourselves on that show, uh, we had Brian Runnels on from Reliance Partners, we were asking ourselves whether we were going to see a repeat of that. And well, now we have the data in, and it looks like we actually saw some improvement this year. Uh, still not great. I think uh, we ended up around 12% out of service rate or something like that. Uh, half of what it was last year, which is good news, but still a significant percentage of, of trucks are being placed, trucks and buses being placed out of service for serious violations. So still, obviously, uh, a concern but um, at least we saw some improvement there. Uh, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter over at trucksafe.com if you are interested in keeping up to date on all of this type of uh, compliance-related and industry-related news. We are constantly pushing out updates and breaking news and detailed analysis of all of these types of issues to those that subscribe to our newsletter. You can do that at trucksafe.com slash subscribe. All right, so moving on to today's topic, which is telematics, as I said. If you're new to our show, I'd recommend you go back and watch, uh, I believe it was episode two, in which we talked about a related topic, which is how fleets can best manage the sometimes overwhelming 
amount of data that is collected by these types of devices. On today's show, however, we wanted to focus more on some of the top considerations that fleets should consider when uh, sourcing telematics options. Telematics types devices have been around for a long time now, but they are becoming more and more prominent uh, and prevalent in our industry and in some regards mandated by regulations, ELDs, for example. Uh, lots of new features and lots of consider considerations. So I'm glad to have with me a good friend, longtime safety and compliance expert, former trucking company owner and current owner of Carpenter Compliance, Rob Carpenter. Rob, welcome. Hey, how are you? Doing all right. Thanks so much for being with me. Thanks for having me. How's uh, how's Virginia this time of year? It's not bad actually. It's uh, it doesn't know if it's going to rain, snow, going to be hot, cold. <laughs> you know, it's ninety Start. degree ninety degrees in Indianapolis today. Is it that bad out there? Uh, no, we we might have seventy here today. So we're Ooh, nice. We're good. All right. Uh, for those who don't know Rob Carpenter. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background, how you got involved with trucking, that type of stuff. So actually I didn't even, I know you and I have been through this, but it's, you know, the, I didn't start in transportation at all. I started on a farm with some grandparents and, you know, it was just a lot of work, a lot of machines, a lot of trucks, a lot of tractors. So you kind of knew what work was. And, uh, then when I got old enough to really have a, a real job, um, where somebody actually paid me to work, it wasn't just slave labor. Um, <laughs> I went into the restaurant industry like a lot of other people do, food service, busboy, dishwasher. And, you know, at some point you get you get tired of smelling like a French fry. You're, you don't want to be greasy no. every day and uh, doing it for very little money. And uh, so ended up coming home one day. At that point, I owned some restaurants and I told my wife. Speaking of that, by the way, sorry to interrupt you, but this is an interesting aside. Last night, uh, I get an alert on my neighborhood app that our main thoroughfare through Greenfield, Indiana, which is where I live, is shut down. And uh, and sure enough, I look out my window, the whole there's a bunch of police out there. And the rationale for shutting down the road was that there had been a spill of animal fat all along the main thoroughfare of Greenfield that had turned the roadway into like a like a skating rink. It was so slippery. And it took them like five hours to clean this. <laughs> Only in Indianapolis. Only in Only. Indiana. Yeah. So anyway. The French fries yeah. brought that to mind. So that's it. Uh, so anyway, I, you know, at that point, I owned some restaurants, and I just got tired of that because it's, you know, it's really, it's kind of, it's a lot like transportation. When you're talking hours, it's 365 days a year, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and uh, you've got a lot of the same problems. People that that don't come to work, they call out, so it gets old quick. And uh, one day, I came home and I told my wife, I'm like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna truck. I'm go I've sold this place. I'm going to truck driving school tomorrow. She's just looking at me like, you're going to do what? And uh, so, yeah, I, I went to truck driving school. And the, the whole reason behind it was really that you had this, you knew they were always going to need truck drivers. And it was something where I didn't have to deal with people all the time. I could just go and just be left alone. So that was kind of where I was at that time. I'd been wrapped up with people every day forever and so long that I just wanted, I just wanted some peace. So went into trucking for the peace and uh, <laughs> it, it just snowballed from there. But, uh, you know, trucking did you, was good. Did you find much peace in trucking? I, I did, actually. In trucking, it wasn't really that bad. Shippers could be, you know, shippers. Uh, Walmarts were terrible. But generally, I mean, it was, it was, it was fun. It was, it was a good environment. But uh, ended up obviously not wanting to be a truck driver. I just wanted to learn transportation from a practical perspective. Left trucking, went into being a broker, 
uh, ended up running rail truckload and an ocean for, for blue grace and here in Virginia and uh, then got the opportunity to manage the company. So went there, ended up buying that company when that company sold out, bought their truck inside and then owned that started my own brokerage. And I eventually went into uh, managing a 14 DOT operation for private equity back group. So that's, that's where I recently left. And uh, here we are doing risk control compliance for, for big companies and insurance yeah. companies and all that good stuff. Yeah, I know you do a lot of compliance now, um, including a lot of work with us, and we're excited to to work with you on these types of things. What what kind of compliance roles have you served over the years? So we've done uh, both fleet and and just general compliance, but the biggest piece is was probably working for um, for the enterprise carrier where you're. You're constantly acquiring new companies for private equity. And when, with those, you're obviously having to acquire the business contracts that they have, whether that's with Lytics or Samsar or whoever. So, you know, you get this huge background from a telematics perspective that's broad based because you're not just dealing with one vendor. It's, you know, you buy this one, you get Lytics. You buy another one, you get Samsara. And eventually you have to consolidate those just from a management perspective. It's not manageable. So that's, that was that. But then you also had the fleet management aspect of uh, drug and alcohol, vendor selection. Um, and you're talking thousands of drivers. So it, it's, it was a big job. It was a lot, but uh, I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was a challenge uh, just yeah. like anything. Yeah. And I know you've, you've worked a lot, as you said, in the telematics space, you know, working to find the right solution that worked for a large uh, trucking company uh, and and smaller ones as well. And so that's why I wanted to get you on today to talk about this kind of uh, idea of what considerations, because we get this question a lot, and I'm sure you do too, from fleets of all types and sizes. Hey, we're thinking about uh, going with a particular telematics vendor. What are your thoughts on this particular vendor? And we always you know, give our thoughts based on our experience working with other fleets that have adopted those solutions. There's no one size fits all uh, solution, obviously, but I wanted to just kind of spend some time talking through the things that we think that fleets should consider, at least from our perspective uh, on on this. So um, tell us, I guess, kind of starting out um, maybe for folks who, who may be new to the industry or just getting started with telematics devices, let's break that term down for them. What do we mean when we're talking about telematics devices? The way I look at it, it's, it's like you're converging uh, telecommunications and, and information that you're gathering from whatever it is that you're, you're trying to, whatever data you're trying to get. So in um, a lot of people just use it as this overarching term to, to, cover all these en- encompassing parts, whether it's uh, cams or ELDs, and most of the time they're referencing cameras, but it covers all these things, event recorders, ELDs, cameras. Um, one of the good things that some of the bigger ones have, Samsara and Motive, you've got full-time diagnostics. So that in itself is telematics data. So um, it, it covers a broad range of things, but everything that all the data that you would want, you can get from somebody on the market. And yeah, and it can be simple and it can be complex has been my experience. You can get a simple solution that serves just to meet your regulatory responsibilities. We'll get into that with ELDs, or you can get a solution that is monitoring all kinds of stuff 
tire yeah. pressure, uh, like you said, cameras, vent recorders, harsh braking, all of that type type of stuff kind of rolls up into telematics as we kind of think about it. Um, uh, like I said, at least from my perspective, um, I, I mentioned ELDs. We should talk about you know historically, like I said, telematics devices have been around for a long time, and and particularly the larger fleets have been using them for various purposes uh, for decades at this point. Um, but only more recently has a particular telematics type been mandated by regulation with, with the ELD rule. So um, maybe we can break that down a little bit and what that ELD rule requires and how that kind of plays into these devices as a whole. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember when this first started, you know, we were truck drivers and, you know, pre 2010 and we were all talking, you know, no matter where you were, it was, Hey, have you heard this electronic log thing is coming? And it's like, no, it'll never happen. You know, it's just <laughs> something that they're talking about. And then the next thing you know, it's a, it's a proposal and it's, you know, it's a real rule. Um, and now there's even less exemptions to it. So after 2019, so now if you basically, if you have a truck 2000 or, or, or newer, you've got to have this. And, um, there's a huge section in, and nobody really, I don't, I don't know if anybody's actually read the whole thing. I, I have read <laughs> portions of it, um, but a, there's an appendix of 395 that breaks down in minute detail, every single thing uh, that you could possibly want to know about an ELD. Yes. Yeah, so um, technical specifications. Yeah. So it's, it's full of all this good stuff. And, you know, who, uh, ha who has read that entire thing is Tom Cuthbertson, who we had on our second show. He used to be with Omnitrax. He's retired now, but I know that man has read that <laughs> appendix forward yeah. and backwards probably 10 times. Tom, if you're on say hi. Um, but yeah, yeah, that but, is a, it is a thick section of the regulations. Yeah, I was talking to Travis Baskin one time at Motive. Well, keep talking at that point. Yeah. Travis was like, there's only like eight people in the world who've read it. <laughs> it's entire. Um, and I think he's one of them. Um, but I have, I, had, I have a life, you know, opposite of what some people think. So I don't have time for it. But I can't tell you everything. Dylan, in, but Dylan says he's, he's read through it on LinkedIn. There you go. We salute you. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, but... It's got a lot of different pieces to it. And one of the things that I found out, and, and actually it's kind of funny, I I had streamlined a bunch of vendors and we were kind of making this decision between, uh, hopefully you're not going to get mad if I name any <laughs> vendors, but we were kind of trying to figure out like, who do we, who are we going to consolidate all these into? Is it going to be Samsar or is it going to be Motive? And that was the final two. Yeah. And we, uh, we already had some with Samsara at the time. I mean, hundreds of them with Samsara that were already under a three-year contract um, that was signed before I had gotten there. And um, it, at the end of the day, what I looked at was not only which one was the most compliant, there was a lot of the different things that I looked at, but one of the things that I found out with Samsara when I started was I was inspecting some vehicles and I found some, uh, some that were bypassing the ECM and that were going straight to power. So that it looked like it was working from a from a dashboard perspective, but it wasn't compliant because it wasn't reading the data that you needed to read from the ECM. Um, as far as engine data, is it moving mileage, etc. Yeah. So it wasn't a compliant system. And uh, when more, you know, the more I got into that, I realized, hey, how did we get to this point where we're powering these things? And come to find out, Samsara had guided this company to do this. So it was like, 
you know, it was, that was kind of, it kind of took me down a different road from a principled perspective. And that's, you know, we ended up with, uh, with motive ultimately at the end, but that's a, that's an important thing to consider is what's in 395. You don't have to read the whole technical specification to be able to be regulatory compliant, but you do need to understand the basics of it. It does need to read the ECM. Um, yeah. It does need to be able to gather certain data from the vehicle, uh, engine speed, and, and uh, different things like that, some diagnostic information, mileage, yeah. et cetera. The good news there is, you know, those technical specifications are really geared towards the manufacturers of the device. To your point, Rob, if your device doesn't happen to be compliant, it's not going to necessarily be an excuse that that was a rule meant for the device manufacturer. So you still have uh, some responsibility, but the comfort I think we can take in that is FMCSA has its list of self-certified devices uh, where manufacturers of these required devices have to certify that they're that they meet these standards that are set out in the appendix to part 395 and what we are seeing more and more recently is fmcsa actually becoming active in policing that and removing from that list of self-certified devices devices that turn out to be non-compliant so i guess that's a good point a good starting point is number one the only required telematics type devices, at least from a DOT perspective at this point, is the ELD system, the electronic logging system. Everything else we're going to talk about today is not technically required. Will it be in the future? Potentially. But ELD is the one that you have to have as a base. If you're like, like Rob said, you know, there are very few exceptions to the ELD mandate. If you are operating in interstate or intrastate in most states. Most states have adopted that rule as well. Uh, commerce, you got to have these ELD devices and your drivers have to be using them to, to track their duty status. <clears throat> but the first point there is if you are sourcing a new ELD device, the first th- place I'm going, if I'm looking at a solution is, are they on the list of self-certified devices? Because if they're not on the list, then it's not permissible for you to use them. So you got to pick somebody on the list. Uh, and if you're looking at any of the big names out there, they're, they're going to be on the list. But if you're looking at a lesser known device, then for sure you need to be checking that, uh, that list and make sure they're on there. You could find it just at FMCSA's website and search for um, ELD um, self-certification list or something like that. Do you have the specific? I'm looking for it. But no, the, uh, uh, yeah, you, I mean, that's that's kind of where I, I start. You know, you want to make sure that it's a compliant system that, that you're actually able to be, u- that you're actually can use um, from uh, an FM, FMCSA perspective. But then, you know, there's there's so many other things that you have to look at because it's like you said, at the, you know, earlier in the, in the call, it, it was... I get this question a lot and I can't give everyone the same answer because you might not need motive or Samsara. You might be fine with some smaller program. Um, whereas if you're an enterprise level operation, you may need more data and, and you have a board and you have, you know, real executives that want real data and high level reporting. Um, it's great to have good diagnostic information that's in real time. So you get, you, the bigger you get, typically the more data you're going to want. So um, you can't change things if you you don't have a big picture of what's going on. So yeah, that's what I found is a lot of the smaller fleets that we work with are usually fine with a solution that is just doing the bare minimum. 
which is yep. again, ELD compliance and that serves them well. But as they start to grow and you become a fleet with 20 trucks, 50 trucks, hundred trucks, then the data that you could be gathering from these devices, if you upgrade them either to a different solution or adding on to your existing solution, if your provider offers it is, is, uh, can be very valuable to you. And so I think maybe that's where we can go from here is what are some of the benefits of telematics devices, particularly when we start to look outside the context of just ELDs, but also the more granular type things like event recorders, um, cameras, those types of things. What are some of the benefits in your view, Rob, on that? Well, for me, with especially with cameras, obviously with cameras, it's it's the visibility thing and no matter what you're really looking for whatever you need the visibility for whether it's uh complaints say you're a passenger carrier and you've got that complaint where hey they left me standing in the rain at a bus stop uh they missed my stop or they called me a this or that so there's some driver indemnification aspects of it from both passenger and property you know you get in your driver gets in a wreck he says it wasn't his fault at that point you don't have the visibility to really know whose fault it was you're just going to have to go with whatever law enforcement or, or whoever worked the scene is going to tell you what, and that's typically what they determined, but they didn't have visibility either. So it's, he said, she said game until you have that visibility, but uh, it can, it can go all kinds of different ways. Theft prevention and recovery through tracking units, um, reduction in insurance costs. Um, you know, one of the did things you see those I, things play out in your, oh yeah, when you, yeah, when, uh, we did, we did it. We've done passenger and property. So one of the thing, one of the biggest co- things that we used cameras for was, um, let's just say Mayo Clinic or MD Anderson Cancer Center, places like that where you have passengers who are getting picked up on a closed loop basis, and uh, they might have a complaint that they got left in the rain at a stop, or um, we ha- we've had some where the driver fought the passenger, or the passenger fought the driver, or. Um, all kinds of different things during riots, there were bricks thrown at buses. And, uh, so you kind of had that visibility of what really happened in that situation, which is in, in some cases it can be pretty intense, but it gives you that ability to kind of build different things. One, how are you going to solve the issues that you have? What are the issues that you have? Um, is it something where that needs accountability or is it something that you can build incentive programs around? And ultimately, that's how I got to where I got at the end was I needed a lot of different things, not not just the visibility aspect that I could get from, you know, an $80 camera from Walmart with an SD card in it. Um, I wanted to be able to see real time what's going on and be able to go back, you know, in some cases indefinitely through cloud based systems. So that's it's, it's just so much to take in. But ultimately, yeah. the visibility gives you the ability to hey, I see that this driver has a close following problem or a speeding problem, or they use their phone a lot. And a lot of drivers hate training. I mean, I don't, I I didn't like sitting in eight hours of training uh, periodically, but there's no point in sitting a driver through that much training if their only issue is close following. And this gives you that visibility to kind of isolate that training and uh, focus the training on close following or speeding or whatever that issue is. So you keep coaching on them and coaching them and coaching them. And then hopefully you can enact some change in that. But without the visibility, you can't do anything because you really don't know 
what your problem is. It goes, it's that old saying, you can't improve what you don't measure. And so right. unless you have a good tool to help you measure or, or to uh, keep on top of where you are having gaps, then how do you ever expect to improve? I know we, we harp on this. I know you harp on this over and over is, you know, the, the solution, if you're running into safety and compliance problems, th- th- there's no magic wand to fix these things. It takes work, but you first have to get your arms wrapped around what's causing your problem before you can then start to work to fix the problem. And so these types of devices are critical in a lot of cases to help you understand where you are having those problems, which drivers are having these issues with uh, with compliance or harsh braking or these things that are making us as a fleet less safe or less compliant. If I've got more visibility into that, then I could take it the next step uh, and do what is required to curb those trends and get them moving in the right direction. But without, without that, then you're kind of shooting in the dark at that point has been my experience. Yeah. And, and accuracy is a big one. You know, you've got cloud base, you've got SD card, you've got, um, AI, you've got non AI. That's just, Hey, you get, you're getting run of the mill footage, but the good thing yeah, I was going to ask AI. you about that with cameras and uh, specifically, you've kind of already kind of mentioned this, but, and I know you keep up to much more up to speed on the current state of this type of technology than I do. I only hear about it when fleets are coming to me with questions about their particular device. I'm curious what kind of progression you've seen with camera uh, devices uh, over the last several years. Uh, and, you know, what did we start out with and where have we come? What do we have now in terms of the cutting edge camera technology that's out there? So I, I remember programs that we used, they were called Janus and, uh, it was just, it was just a <laughs> one of the no camera. I mean, it, it didn't do anything, but it recorded. That's all it did. Is uh, this but it had like series sister or something? Right. Yeah. And, mm, and so okay. what you'd run into is drivers would take that, you know, they get an accident and they'd know it's their fault. So they'd take the SD card out and it just vanished. I don't know. <laughs> they didn't have one in there. Throw it out so, the window. Yeah. So that's another thing that you have to consider. It's like, you know, the cloud-based systems are, they're not tamper proof, but you know, how, how hard is it for a driver to tamper with what's been recorded or to keep it from being recorded? Um, you know, it was cases with Samsara and Motive where I got a disconnect notice and you could go back and watch the minute it got disconnected and you could see them just, you can't see them unplug it, but you can see them under the dash. So, you know, take what you want. <laughs> um, but it's um, it, it's kind of developed from there and you now you've got these AI systems and that goes, a big part of that AI is accuracy. And I'll just tell you what it is. You know, I've, I've trialed these, I've used these systems from a practical perspective. It's, it's, I'm not a guy who just got paid to sponsor motive. Doesn't give me any money to sponsor them. I just like their product. And, uh, part of the reason I like their product, and this isn't a show to promote motive. It's just a show to tell you things that you should look for both in companies and systems. Uh, motive might not be the thing for you. You, you might fit with Verizon or Lytics or whatever. But at the end of the day, I found that, um, you know, in trying to figure out where we're going to go with Samsara or Motive at this enterprise carrier for these 14 DOT numbers and thousands of vehicles, it was one of those things where I got units to try. And I'm even trying some right now um, for something that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. But um, one of the things that I looked at was the accuracy in the AI, because I think a lot of a lot of people look at a lot of carriers look at the prices of these things and they'll say, wow, this is only $15 a month. 
And then, you know, they don't realize that there's an added cost of admin and management time in these systems. So a lot of times you get that pitch, it's AI and it manages it, it manages this for you and you don't have as much work to do. And that that is a good selling point. Some of them do that. But you need to look at how accurately they do that as well. So, you know, with Samsara, when I trialed them, uh, and we used them actually for years under contract, and we were looking at 70% accuracy. Uh, then we tried Motive. Uh, we were in the 90s percentile. And what I mean by that is if you get an event notification that Rob has been on the phone, and then you go and look at that event, and Rob is putting a piece of gum in his mouth. That's not Rob on the phone, but the system, the AI is detecting that as being on the phone. So there's two issues with that accuracy piece. One, it takes a lot of time for someone to then go through event by event to manage that and determine, hey, is this depicted as what it really is? And if it's not, it creates a trust issue, not only with the buyer, with the driver, and it's going to make it harder to get driver buy-in on it. Uh, but then it limits what you can do with that program, right? So if you wanted to create an incentive-based program based on events and trends, it's difficult to do that with something that's not trustworthy because the next thing you have is drivers complaining, well, I should have got a bonus because I was just chewing gum or, or whatever the case was. So it's... Um, you know, accuracy is a big thing. And if you're in it, if you end up paying, like in my case with Samsara, I was paying someone, a group of people, 120 hours a week to manage events. That's all they did. They just checked hours of service and events for, for Samsara. And if you break that down, divided by trucks, it's not $15 a month anymore. It's now like 75 or $80 a month. Yeah. So if you're looking at, you know, for me, that was one of the big deciding factors from an OPEX perspective. It was like, hey, I can pay 25 or 35 or whatever for motive, and I don't have to pay someone 120. You know, I don't have to put out that labor cost. So yeah. there's different costs that have to be considered in it. But Robert's asking on LinkedIn, <clears throat> when you, you mentioned this earlier, Rob, when you guys found someone tampering with the equipment, how did you approach it? So we had, a, we have, a, they still have an awesome HR director. Um, her, I'm not going to tell you her name, but <laughs> she's great. So she has a very streamlined set of, she's very pro labor. She's very by the book. But what we created in that was one, we had a committee for accidents. So if you got in an accident, we had a committee, we would look at the video. It was between me, the general counsel and, and her, who was like the VP of HR. And we would kind of determine like, what do we do with this? And historically, what have we done with people in these same situations? But really, if it was an everyday event, close following or whatever it was, or you disconnected the camera, we tried to go the coach, not cop route. And that goes a lot to driver buy-in because if every time you turn around, you're firing someone for whatever. And Cisco at one time had a really bad reputation for if they caught somebody without a seatbelt, they were terminated on the spot. You don't really get good buy-in with that. I mean, Cisco's a big company. They've been successful. I just don't believe in that that hard and fast rule. I think in some cases it's warranted, but in in most cases it's a simple, hey, let's talk about this. This is what we saw you do. Here's the coaching. And how we ultimately did is we created coaching bundles for different behaviors. So if you had a close following problem, you took the close following bundle with 10th Street. Yeah. And uh, eventually that coaching kind of, picked up and you know it changed things i mean we reduced auto claims more than 40 percent in like a year and a half 
yeah. um, using Motive's AI system. But um, that was kind of like the name to fame with that. It's really the coach, not cop. Yeah. Tom's asking a follow-up question. Tom Cuthbertson here in the house with us. Uh, was there a, did you have a published policy on tampering with your drivers? We did. And we also um, had a, a published policy on, Hey, you are being watched and recorded because um, not all States allow you to record audio and video uh, without someone's consent. And even, you know, we even ran into some issues with passenger carriers because in, so, in most states, the law is everyone in the vehicle has to understand they're being recorded. So you can't use that footage if not everyone's aware of it. And if there's 50 people on the bus, the odds are someone's not aware of it. Yeah. So uh, you have to, it's important to understand the regulations around it too. But. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, we're kind of getting into pitfalls at this point. Um, but that is something to consider. It is a big, big consideration is if you are going to move to a system that includes video, you know, we kind of looked at the history of it. We, you talked about the old systems that were recording on an SD card or SD card. And now we moved to more of a cloud recording type system. But another big transition was we had historically been relying on forward facing cameras that were recording the, the, you know, the, movement ahead of us, what's going on ahead of us or behind us. Um, yep. But now and more and more, we're starting to see a transition to both forward facing and inward facing. So facing towards the driver. And that's where you start to get into the AI capabilities that you're talking about. And I know there is still a big debate out there and it's a, it's a, it's a reasonable debate to have, I think, uh, at least from my perspective on the legal side of things as to whether inward facing cameras make sense or not. The reason it's important that we discuss that, uh, and that we debate it is because there are some pitfalls if you choose to go that route and have recordings of what's going on in the cab. You've mentioned them, Rob, which are essentially privacy concerns. Uh, like you said, a lot of state laws, um, require folks to consent to being recorded. And if we are installing devices in our trucks that are recording, you know, then maybe we are at risk of running afoul of whatever state laws those happen to be. Um, and so that is something that has to be taken in, into consideration before you just pull the trigger on those types of inward facing devices. Um, I, I think the saving grace there, one of the saving graces there is that we are involved in such a highly regulated industry because if the concern is privacy what we have learned from the courts particularly federal courts over the years is that there is in a highly regulated industry like trucking a diminished expectation of privacy truck drivers whether we like it or not do not have the same expectation of privacy that you and I have in our personal vehicles. They don't have the same right to those privacy to that privacy as we would in our personal vehicles, because this is such a potentially dangerous uh, profession to be involved with. We have to take measures from a safety perspective uh, to make sure that, that they are safe. And so we have these pr same privacy issues raised like when the eld mandate was pushed out folks will remember the legal battles that ensued after the original eld mandate was published 
that that they battled that out in court. It's primarily OIDA and the uh, and the FMCSA battling it out in court over whether those ELD devices, which aren't even recording video or audio, whether they violated the driver's privacy. And and that's where we learn from the courts about the diminished expectation of privacy stuff like that. But it is suffice it to say an important consideration when you're talking about cameras in particular. Well, I mean, these drivers, you know, when I was when I worked over the road. I mean, that's, that's your life. That's where you live. That's your home. So, you know, a lot of the complaints that, that you've probably seen, I get on LinkedIn when I, when I advocate for these things is, well, that's where I live. That's my house. You shouldn't be able to film in my house. Well, there's four duty statuses and I, and I'm a hundred percent in agreement that when you're in sleeper birth or you're off duty and the truck isn't moving, then I, I 100% think it should be able to be disconnected or turned off. But, um, yeah, you know, that requires some level of self-management um, unless there's some automatic feature that turns it back on when, you know, the truck starts moving. But, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of see it from both sides, but at, it's like you said, there's it's such a dangerous occupation. This might be your home, but it's also your workplace. And then you're driving on the roadways with tens of thousands and millions of other people. And uh, it's important not only to to consider that, but it's you have to think about the identification aspect on, on the driver's part as well. I mean, there's been drivers that have been exonerated with these things. So, um, yeah. companies that have been exonerated with these things. Yeah. But that's the other side of the calculus, right? Is the, the benefit potential benefit of that type of evidence. I mean, that's what you're yeah. weighing against the driver pushback, the privacy concerns and all of those potential pitfalls. You are weighing against that, the potential exoneration benefits of that device name, Namely, you know, because we've seen this over and over again in litigation, um, the the benefit that video evidence has, even if it's not to exonerate your driver, to at least let you as the trucking company know that, hey, this was truly our driver's fault. We need to get out of this case quickly. Yep. It, it serves a benefit both ways. Um, and so you certainly have to take that into consideration when you're, when you're talking about cameras in particular, uh, in addition to the other benefits that come with it. One of which is uh, potential insurance savings. Dylan says on LinkedIn, insurance discounts alone will probably pay annually almost three times the cost of the cameras. I wanted to ask you about that, Rob, because you had mentioned insurance earlier. Um, did you see any savings when you kind of rolled out stuff like this? Was how, how big of a, influence were, were insurance cost on the calculus we saw it some in our fleet but and, and my personal fleet but in in uh, the enterprise realm we didn't see as much because we were we were self-insured through a captive um so you saw a little bit but it, it really wasn't a lot yeah uh, and well i think to that point and i think this has been your experience as well we are starting to see you know with insurance costs on the rise skyrocketing due in part to the, you know, social idea of social inflation. We've talked on previous shows about nuclear verdicts and what's contributing to those huge multi-million and billion dollar verdicts, uh, including this concept of social inflation where folks in society are being desensitized to all of these huge verdicts. And so it's causing these numbers to skyrocket and it's, it's making insurance costs, uh, go up as well. Um, and a lot of these insurance companies are, are, um, as I understand it, uh, you know, barely scraping by and we've seen some exit our industry altogether. Um, 
And and so what we have seen over the last couple of years is an emergence of like insure tech companies that are heavily reliant on telematics type uh, devices installed in the trucks as a condition to being insured with them. You have to agree to install these devices on your trucks and then they use that. Uh, kind of part and parcel with their underwriting process to set your premiums and maybe give you discounts if your drivers are, are, you know, operating safely and that type of stuff. So there is at least a segment of the industry where insurance costs um, and, and potential discounts uh, heavily influence that concept of whether to move forward with these types of devices or not. Well, I think they, I mean, insurance companies, you know, when I work with Gallagher Bassett, I do a lot of risk control for insurance companies. And it, I don't see that they get a lot of financial reward out of, of subscribing to these technologies. In most cases, I mean, there is some, but I think if you're looking at it from like a personal auto liability perspective, it's definitely there. You know, you've got these um, usage-based programs like Progressive developed one, uh, I don't know, a few years back. It's one of those you know, plug it in, plug it in your uh, US, your uh, OBD2 port, and it'll, you know, give all that data to Progressive. But um, that has that has a negative side effect, too. So since I've been trying this current system I have in my truck, <laughs> I, uh, I also use Allstate, and I've used with them 15 years. Not trying to sell Allstate again. <laughs> uh, Not but, sponsored. Right. Um, but I've been with them like 15 years, and they started this program where they – make you download the app, you give them permissions. As long as you have your phone, they're going to tell you what you've done. And uh, mm. I think last month it ended up costing me money because, you know, <laughs> I've kind of driven like a fool for a month and a half. Um, so anyway, it's kind of got goods and bads, but. Yeah. Uh, Tim says, I've always been an advocate of dual vision AI technology. If clients manage it well, if you do not monitor and manage the data, it will result in less defensibility and enablement of poor behaviors. That's an important point. One that I wanted to get to another potential pitfall. And I love your thoughts on this, Rob, is the overwhelming amount of data that can be generated by these systems and whether or not the fleet is equipped to deal with all of that data data that is coming in. This was the topic of our show that I mentioned earlier that we had Tom on this kind of concept or idea of drinking from a fire hose. You know, these systems are, are gathering literally terabytes of data. If you've got a big fleet and now you have all of that coming to you, if you put your head in the sand and you throw your hands up and say, I can't manage this, are you in a worse position at that point than you would have been otherwise if you had not adopted the systems to begin with? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's going to come back to how you manage your business and the program. So one of the things that that I put in place when I put in these programs was what's called event management. So there's a very specific protocol, like you get this event, you coach it, you make sure that there's no unassigned time as well at the same time. But you're showing, one, you're doing something with this this event that you see. You realize that Rob Carpenter talks on his phone all the time while he's driving. That's his trend. That's his problem. But you can't just continue to let him do that. And then he wrecks and kills someone next month. The plaintiff's lawyer is going to have a field day and ask for this information. Give us all the footage you have of Rob Carpenter. And it's going to show you he's on the phone 131 times before this. Why didn't you do something about it? Well, we did. Well, what was the limits to your event management? So you have to have a well-defined event managed program as well. So, hey, he's on the phone. We'll coach him three times. After three times, if he continues to do it, that to us determines he's not coachable. And then accountability comes into play. So a lot of it has to do with company culture. 
which flows into accountability, but event management, accountability. And uh, one good thing about that, you know, 10th Street, we use the bundles. And when the driver would complete these bundles, you had a certificate that automatically went in their driver qualification file that said, hey, they've completed uh, the telecommunications bundle, hand, uh, uh, hands-free driving, et cetera. So you had the certificate show, one, you've watched it, you've addressed it, you've trained on it, you've coached on it. And then if ultimately it leads to accountability, you've got some kind of written written warning to where, hey, yeah. you're on your third time, just understand the next time it might not be a coaching. Yeah. This, this data management problem is probably my biggest concern out of all of them, uh, just because I've seen it play out and it worries me a lot. You know, the, like I said, some of these devices are capable of, of gathering so much data and they're sending it somewhere. And so first, I think if you're sourcing a solution, you need to first understand exactly what data is being gathered and make sure you, you fully understand what universe of data is out there. Because let me give you an example. I worked with a fleet a while back and uh, we, we were helping them with a mock DOT audit. And as part of our audit, we're always looking at, in addition to DOT compliance issues, we're also looking at highway accident exposure and stuff like that. And as part of that review, we asked for back office access to their telematics system. And so they gave us that and we started digging in and looking at all of the reports that were available through that particular system. It was a well-known vendor that they were using. And what we found in the context of that review was that the system they were using was taking telematics data, primarily harsh breaking events, following too closely, that type of stuff. And it was using it to generate a score for those drivers a graded score, so A through F, and then it had those grades for every one of the carrier's drivers. We're talking thousands of drivers. Right. The problem that carrier had was they were relying primarily on the device, just primarily on the ELD capabilities of the device and also the camera activity. They didn't even realize that the system was grading their drivers and that they were using drivers who had an F. And so my concern, as, as you mentioned, Rob, is if, if one of those drivers then goes and kills somebody and you end up in litigation and now the plaintiff's attorney is going to get access to all of that same reporting right. and they're going to, the story that's going to be told to the jury is how could you have been using a driver that had a grade of F? Right. It would play terribly to the jury if that were to happen. And so had they just known that the system was gathering that data, then the, Potentially, they could have either managed it or they could have turned it off or something like that. But that's the point there is you need to understand the universe of data that's coming in and then have a plan to manage it. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're all doing different things. You know, it kind of goes back to it. It kind of goes to diagnostics as well. You know, there's um, there's fleets that I've done mock audits on where they have two million miles on these vehicles and they, they're not showing any interest in buying new ones. Um, and they have say motive or samsara then it's got most vehicles out of 150 diagnostic codes that are live right now and if that vehicle gets in an accident the first thing they're going to say is one well it's junk it's got two million miles for one but two it's not just good junk it's bad junk it's got 150 live diagnostic yeah. codes. Do you think that's wise to have on the road <laughs> and uh so you know it, it's it's gathering a huge amount of data, but that's, it kind of goes back to the beginning of it. It's when you're buying these systems and you're really looking at 
their full capabilities and what you're what you're purchasing and their features, you have to understand the system or you can't manage yeah. it. And then it moves into the management piece. You have to be able to manage it and manage the events and manage these diagnostic codes. Um, or it can it can end up costing you and, and showing you some exposure later on. And so inevitably the follow-up question to that is going to be, well, would we be better off just to not have these devices at all? And I hate that question. And I want right. your thoughts on it, Rob. I, I hate it because it's binary. It assumes that the, that the answer is binary, that it's either better to have it or better to not. I, I think that is a terrible I, way to look at it. I think, I think you should have the devices and I think you should be managing the data. Yeah. Yes. That is the best case scenario. It doesn't have to be either or it should be both. You should figure out a way to manage it within your capabilities and you should have the devices. Right. And I look at it the same way. It's you're better to have it. You just need good policies in place. You need a culture that's going to enforce accountability with the management process. Um, because, you know, there are, there are managers, you know, even in the company I just left, there's managers that didn't do a good job managing the program, but the, the system tells on itself. So it'll yeah. let you know that manager XYZ hasn't, you know, updated their dashboard for coaching in 37 days. Uh, so that's the other good thing about it is a lot of these systems kind of have accountability built in. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not set it and forget it. Well, we're running out of time. I wanted to spend some time going over some examples. You brought with you some uh, some interesting footage that you have captured over the years and doing on the devices that you have. So I want to kind of walk through these uh, and kind of talk through them. So let's do that before we run out of time here. So I'm just going to play them one after the other, other and I want to get your uh, commentary on them. So here we go. First one. What do we got here? We got somebody that's hit a bike. Oh, uh, this is a, this is a passenger carrier. I'm not going to tell you who, um, but so the important thing to look at here, and the reason I added this one in is one, you can't tell who it is. You can't tell who the driver is. You can't tell what the driver's doing. And um, I probably could have cut some out of this, but basically what ends up happening in just a second uh, is he's going to wreck. But you don't know what that driver was doing. And when you see this wreck, the question's going to kind of be. What was he doing? And it's kind of like the LinkedIn thing I posted this morning. It's like we don't know because we don't have the, the in we don't have the inward uh, in cab dash cam to know what exactly yeah. he was doing at this time. It took his attention off the road. So the good thing about this, there is in cab to this. It's just not being played right now. Uh -oh. But the uh, basically he got into a daze and he started daydreaming and just got totally unfocused and didn't even realize where he was. Next thing you know, yeah. it's. $120,000 in claims. So Yeah, I think his bike is toast, too. Yep. All right, here's another one. Now, this is a uh, this is a property carrier, and Ooh. it kind of goes to um, anytime you stop, you should keep some, some distance between you and the other vehicle. Even if no one's in front of you, keep it from the intersection. That way, if you're hit from the back, you're not being pushed into the car or into the intersection. So Now, this is actually a bike cam. Uh, this came mm. from just a guy riding a bike and uh he wow, made he's got a forward facing and backward facing on his helmet or something on his helmet so what happened <laughs> in this case was it got sent to the company or the, you know the basically the company but yeah they were able to then pull telematics footage from the cab uh -huh. where you know he basically made a dangerous maneuver on a 90 degree turn blind and again uh, facilitates discussions with the driver about that type of thing yeah so you got to coach that I mean, you've got to do something about it. Um, 
here's another another passenger carrier. This is probably one of the closest wrecks I've non wrecks I've ever seen. Uh, oh, to what were they doing at the time? <laughs> were they on the phone? Were they asleep? Were they just not paying attention? Were they eating their food? So if you don't have that in cab visibility, you don't know what caused this. So you don't yeah. have the ability to to change that behavior. Yeah, that was inches. So oh, this here is you me. are. Um, and I, th- I think I'm actually leaving Richmond Airport here. I think I just left you in Indianapolis, actually. <laughs> and uh, I put this in there because, one, you can see me. I'm on the phone. And the good thing about this, this is a motive trial unit. And, and motive basically tells on me every day I drive. And it's always telling my wife, hey, Rob's been on the phone today. Rob's speeding today. Rob almost cut this car off. And uh, sometimes I do drive like this on a normal basis, even though I teach people how to drive. But, you know, I get in a hurry and, you know, things happen. But For everybody watching here, Rob's doing, doing this on purpose to test the device. Yes. Um, <laughs> and sometimes I, I have. I've tried to slam on the brakes with no one around just to see, you know, hey, it's my street. There's no one here. And kind of see, like, what is the system detecting? You know, yeah. how many feet per second does it take for it to, like, really flag you as that hard brake or, you know, yeah. take off? Here's another one. Got a couple more here. So what's confusing with these is these are Samsara units, and the flags on these are actually for um, front-end crash detection. But there's no crash detection. So what's happening is every time, and this is what we're talking about with accuracy with AI, with the Samsara unit, it's detecting the vehicle in the lanes beside it. And Mm -hmm. it's setting off a front collision warning based on just bad AI data. So somebody's going to have to go through and weed all these videos out to say, hey, that's yeah. not really what it says it is. This is another Samsara video. Um, and Oof. what you're going to want to see there for that crash is, hey, what was this guy doing? Did he fall asleep? Did he have a medical emergency? What was the case? And that way you can change the behavior or coach uh, and have you know, protocols built in in the future to handle whatever this driver was doing or not doing at the time. So, yeah. All right, last two here. Same thing. Uh, this is another Sam Sarah footage. Uh, that's another thing. Look at clarity of the films. You can definitely see the difference between vendors. But in this case, it's the same thing. We're getting front-end collision warnings, but it's not. There's no one in front of him. It's setting it off for due to vehicles in the lane on the side. So. All right, last one. We have an honorable mention here. Um, this is an exciting one. I, I You shared this today on your LinkedIn post. Uh, a little off topic, but... but uh, Interesting to watch, nonetheless. Here we go. I'm sure most people have seen this. At this yeah, point. my wife said this is you in real life. You would have done this on purpose. <laughs> so the question Dukes of hazard so, style. Yeah, it goes back to the same thing. It's like you know, you don't have visibility into that car. You don't know what the guy was doing, but you know, yeah. generally somebody can say, "Hey, he was probably on the phone." Uh, all right. Good. All right, Rob, we're out of time. Really appreciate you joining me today. Uh, been a great discussion. We've hit on a lot of things. Um, tell people where they can find you if they have uh, questions or want to reach out to you and get your assistance uh, with some you, of their compliance efforts. You can find me on LinkedIn or you can find me on my website, carpentercompliance.com, um, or you can come to the DOT boot camp in Orlando where uh, Rob will be speaking. Be talking with, Rob, with, uh, with Brandon. Yeah, come join us for sure. Well, thanks again, Rob. Great having you. We're going to wrap things up here. Again, check out the boot camp. Uh, We'd love to have you there with us. Got a lot in store for that. Truck Safe Boot Camp. 
truckbuilderbrand.com. Uh, also, check out our online courses. We've got a lot of uh, content through our TruckSafe Academy at truckSafeacademy.com. We've got DOT compliance courses that are built for safety managers on all kinds of compliance topics, hours of service, driver qualification, vehicle maintenance, reasonable suspicion, hazmat, everything like that. Check it out, truckSafeacademy.com. Follow us on social media. Subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, stay tuned for our next episode of Truck Safe Live. Uh, we, we announce those through our newsletter and on social media. Uh, thanks again to the sponsor uh, of this season of Truck Safe Live, Log Rock. Appreciate you teaming up with us to make this possible. Uh, that's all I got. Hope to see you on the next show. Thanks, everyone.